into, um, he had about 40 acres and he thought, oh, this is cool, I'll raise alpacas and a piece to buy stock to start a herd. <laughs> they wanted $30,000. Wow. Indeed. Indeed. Wow. Yeah, they're in the, um, it looks like they're in the, the, the just like llamas and um, llamas, I, they're in the camel family. Mm -hmm. So it's not camel hair and it is not llama hair or llama as they say in South America, um, but they are much smaller, much smaller than llamas and certainly much smaller than camels. Um, and yeah, they've got this long woolly coat that they shear, and that's the beginning of cashmere. That's I don't, I don't know if they actually shear it. I do they cut? They cut rather. Than I've heard, um, I heard on one documentary that actually they just comb it out. Oh, how interesting! Alpaca wool. They do it every spring when they would normally just shed it anyway. Mm-hmm. And that seems much more pleasant. <laughs> oh, gee whiz. Well, let's see if Wiki has anything. Alpaca on Wiki. We learned so much on this show. Hey, <laughs> golly, bye, Yimini. You don't have to go to school, little kid. Just listen to Yesterday USA. We go nuts at Christmas. <laughs> um... Alpacas are kept in herds that graze on the levels of the Andes in Peru. We knew that, near Bolivia and Ecuador. And, let's see, alpaca fiber is used for knitting and woven items. Uh, we also know that, but how do they... Let's see, background, behavior... Oh, spitting. See, they spit like cows. <laughs> Tui. Tui. You want my fur? Tui. Um, history. <laughs> I, I hear camel um, spit is not the most pleasant thing to be around. It is not the most pleasant thing. And llamas do the same thing. Mm. And now alpacas, who are diminutive, mm -hmm. do the same thing. Mm. Okay, fiber. Let's see if maybe fiber. How sounds While you're looking, here is something interesting about llamas. You know, in Colorado here, we have coyotes. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, a lot of the smaller uh, farmers who raise sheep um, will get one llama and put it with the herd as a watchdog because they hate coyotes. Oh, how about that? They will viciously attack them. And if you're out walking your dog, uh -huh. a llama will come running up to the fence and follow the dog oh. along the fence line oh. and just stare at him. Yeah. Oh. The dog actually is intimidated by this animal. Hmm? <laughs> I saw that once. It, it was actually really cute. I went out with my friend who was walking his dog and he goes, just wait, just wait, you'll see. And sure enough, when we came up to the corner of the property, that llama comes running over and just stares at the dog. The dog, who usually will bark at anything, was just quiet and mm -hmm. walked behind us. <laughs> like, I'm going to protect you against that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, keep, they keep talking about it being fibers, and there's nothing about how they 
harvest these <laughs> fibers. There must be something in here. I just haven't come across it yet. Uh, fiber structure. Like I said, I just I just saw it in a documentary once. Hypoallergenic. Anybody ever saw the uh, Bob Hope Bing Crosby movie Road to Morocco? Uh huh. There's a camel in there, and there's a scene where uh, Bing and Bob are going down, sweeping in a camel hoing, and then the camel decides. It, wasn't scripted. The camel decided to uh, do his thing and uh, swab her and he spit. Uh, oh, the the, uh, the, uh, the the staff thought it was so funny they just kept the footage and left it in the film. It was not scripted to be that way. Uh, I don't know how you could script a camel spit. <laughs> <laughs> he can't read, you know. And he could you like just give the camel a little extra money? <laughs> Well, considering you know, the, you know the famous line about Bob and Bing in the in these pictures and talk about a script. Mm-hmm. Um, they were notorious to be ablivers, and uh, the movie script writers weren't too thrilled about Bob and Bing because they were bringing their own radio writers to punch it up. Mm-hmm. And when the movie writers would come on the scene to watch them film, Bob and Bing saying, "Hey, if you hear one you like, just yell bingo." Okay, they basically just rewrote the whole script. That's how they just, that's how Bob and Bing did all those real pictures. They, they did well. Uh-huh. Okay, here we go. Alpaca fiber. In recent years, alpaca have also been exported to other countries. In countries such as the United States, Australia, and New Zealand, breeders shear their animals annually, weigh the fleece, and test them for fitness. I guess they're testing the fleece for fitness. Mm-hmm. So they shear them. Hmm. That's interesting. Oh, I've got, I, these are the export countries. I, I haven't come across anything about Peru, but maybe they do it differently in Peru. Maybe. A heck of a lot of coat to comb. Maybe they used to used to just comb them, and they decided it was more practical economically to shear them and just take it all. Sounds reasonable, except, you know, the Andes are getting pretty cold, so they must time this precisely. So, they're going to get a coat by the time. After you show uh, one of these things. With electric razor. It, it really is a, a type of electric razor, and they just. Right. And it goes off in a sheet. Then, did you re wove these things into the socks and sweaters? How do you make sure they stick together? Oh, that was sort of like process. The, it, it comes out by the time they finish the processing and the manufacturing and the dyeing. It comes out like knitting wool. So yes, they're they're actually knit from alpaca. It's not that you take the alpaca coat and put it on your feet. They actually process it like wool. Ah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Or they will create yarn or whatever exactly. out of it. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You got it. But you know, they really have cute little faces. They look like baby camels. And I'll bet they're as frisky and as mean as baby camels. Not well, they, they are cute. Yeah, they, they're adorable. They have, you know, these, they have eyelashes. They have really big eyelashes. Camels do, too, because it helps keep the sand out of their mm-hmm. eyes in the desert. But this is, this is really cute. They've got pretty little faces. But I do not think they are pet-type stuff. You do not want to have one in your living room. All right, are you ready for a question? No, but um, 
Never mind. I did want, I did want to tell you one other thing. Can you guess what I had um, for dinner today? Christmas goose. Stovetop stuffing. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Dan will be thrilled to hear it. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <coughs> and Patricia probably will join you in that department tomorrow. On, to, on the morrow, she will do Although, according to my nephew, uh -huh. I always wreck it. You wreck stovetop? Uh-oh. How can you wreck stovetop? You put water and butter in it and throw it in the microwave. Mm, well, I think you'd agree with my nephew because I put peas and carrots in it. Good night, nurse. <laughs> I think you have to go to confession. <laughs> Dennis, how could you do this? Well, I don't know. How could you get so excited about eating possum. <laughs> you won't even eat Brussels sprouts. I won't eat Brussels sprouts and I, I'm not terribly fond of peas, although I'll eat them. But peas in my stuffing? I don't think so. Yes, I agree with your nephew. <laughs> Are a stuffing wrecker. <laughs> we have, Walden, we have a stuffing wrecker uh -huh. in our family. Uh-huh. I I think the family taste of food is going to be very interesting if we ever chart this thing. If we ever charge? Chart. chart. Oh, chart. Have, have a, a family chart. Yeah. You know, one night I should ask for favorite recipes. Uh-huh. You start thinking about that, what your, what your good recipes are and what we can put together in uh, a <laughs> recipe book. <laughs> well, email it out to keep, keep the post. We're going to have bacon and alpacas. <laughs> Well, there already is a book of my favorite recipes out in Europe. It's not it's not um, available for publication because it's only three copies and they're all handwritten. Oh wow! Uh, one of my uh, one of my students uh, likes to cook, mm -hmm. and so we spend our time conversing about food, and uh, so. I started giving her recipes, and she started giving me hers, and uh, she wrote down by hand, uh, and I got one. That's a oh. really nice gift. Wow. She wrote, she wrote them out by hand. Ooh, wow. And uh, so there's... Uh, a little transfer of culture there. Mm -hmm. That's really nice. We started talking about it. She says, oh, I have a friend who's immigrated to America and is working there, and they're starving because there's no good food in America. <laughs> Excuse me? And I go, well, that's not true. <laughs> and so I started giving her recipes, and mm -hmm. she wrote them down and tried them, and she goes, oh, wow, this is great. You don't eat chicken feet, but that shouldn't count. <laughs> <laughs> Some people do. But, uh, yeah, I have to admit, I haven't had chicken feet, but here's here's another little piece of trivia for you. And this one's several years old. I have no idea what the current statistic is. But Tyson, um, you might be familiar with the brand of frozen chicken mm -hmm. in the grocery stores. Uh-huh. They export one million pounds of chicken feet. 
Wow. To China every year. Yeah, China, it's a delicacy in China. It is. One million pounds of chicken feet? Boy, these chickens are going to unite and we're doomed. So, I mean, so they're running around with hanging feet? Just <laughs> <laughs> if the chicken is in our oven. <laughs> I haven't seen them run around without feet. I just wake up. Because, you know, actually... You haven't seen them run around with feet. I know, but, you know, actually, though, um, uh, in wilderness survival, one of the things they do is to, to uh, kill a chicken. And... Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting to watch chickens run around without a head. Uh-huh. So I guess they could do without feet. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah. There's a whole new meaning to the word stick man. I, I guess Here. so. All right. I'll let you guys go. Okay. I'm glad you had a good day. Thank you for calling, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. All right, you. Dennis. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There, uh, buddy Dennis. 714-545-2071. We're up and about. We're here. Are we having fun yet? We always have fun. We always have fun. Good old Walden. We, we always have fun. We always do. Yeah. So what are we doing tonight? We have your special interview. That's so, right. So whenever you want to go to that, you can give me the heads up. I would really like to play an awful show first. Can we do that? Oh, I can, I can do that too. You have an awful show. Is it accessible? I just got to turn on the computer. I just got to turn on my email and I can be accessible. You bet. I can, um, I can resend it. Would that, would that be of any... Well, if you did, it'd be the top of the list rather than me trying to go and look, look through it again. Well, I'll bet I can do that. Oh, man, you're so good. Just see, um, what we did to you. Oh, man, I guess if I get over to the computer side, we're going to do that. Well, I have to find what I sent first. Uh, let me grab my microphone. That way we can talk. That would help. Yeah. Easy received. Thank you. Awful show. Delete the first one. So this is the one we want. Okay. Boop, 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 boop. This one is... Oh, this is a good one. Okay. I, I got this one. All right. Now we want to forward. I will forward it to Walden. And you will have it at the top of your list. <laughs> And we will hit send. Yay! Awful show here is the title of it. I folder view list view. I mean the title of the email. Not the show. And I am still hunting down or picking from my files. I am choosing ones that are 10 and 15 minutes long. People's agonies are limited. You don't have to uh, put up with this for a whole half hour. Okay, so this one is called... I'm mad at firefighters. There's um, 
Outlook Express Address Book List View 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 List well, we're going to hear one together tonight. And uh, it, it struck me at first. I thought, oh, this must be a kids' show. And then with the content, when I listened to the content, I thought, no, this is adult content because the the, the firefighter is. 99%. Teaching a woman, oh, you have to get out of the way of the fire truck because it's going to an emergency and you can't drive here and you can't. That's not kid stuff, that's grown up stuff. It's up on your board now? Okay. Well, let's take a listen to it, and then you tell me whether you think it's a kid show or a grown-up show. This is from December 13, 1949, and it has qualified for my awful shows collection number two. Okay. Mail attachment, open button, enter, attachments, list view, topo owner is mad at firefighters.mp3 11.2 MB, one of one, Windows Media Player, default view, Windows Media Player. Five bells, stand by all stations. Attention, all districts, a five alarm fire, five bells, move in immediately. That's it, let's roll, let's go, firefighters! Presenting Firefighters, the true-to-life story of our unsung heroes who stand ready to ride by day or night against our most murderous enemy, the demon of fire. In just a minute, we'll join Tim Collins, rookie fireman, in his wild dash to the scene of his first real fire. You remember that Chief Cody has just assigned Tim to one of the finest hook-and-ladder outfits in the whole fire department, Old Three Ones, the company in which Tim's father began his great career many years ago. And now Tim is racing to report for duty at a fire in the warehouse district, to which his company has been called by a third alarm. Before we join Tim Collins' rookie fireman, here's a message for you. Let's go, firefighters. Let's go to the fire department headquarters, where Chief Cody has just assigned Tim Collins to the hook and ladder company of his choice, the famous old Three Ones Company. Tim has his boots, helmet, and firefighter's coat. He's all ready to report to Three Ones at 4 o'clock sharp for duty with the 2nd Platoon when suddenly the call bell at headquarters begins to ring. Hold it, Collins. That's the third alarm. Box 3-2, that's Clark and Montague in the warehouse district. And the third alarm from that box, the headquarters company turns out. What in blazes is keeping? Oh. oh, there they go, Chief. Well, that's more like it. 30 seconds can make all the difference when a fire threatens to get out of control. Yes, sir. Sir, may I be dismissed on a, on a second? All three ones is due to roll for an alarm at Clark and Montague, and that was a third. And the third alarm means the battalion chief needs extra help. Get over there, Collins, as fast as you can move. Report for duty at the scene of the fire. Thank <laughs> you. 
Stop that car. Pull in here, quick. Are you raising your voice at me, young man? Uh, this is an emergency. Oh, oh sorry, ma'am. I'd better get a man to drive me. This may be a dangerous run. A man? Ah, climb in here, Tim Collins. Huh? Oh, Miss Braddock. Uh, get me to Clark and Montague. Uh, there's a fire out of control. Jump in here, quick. Yes, sir. We'll turn at this corner. Yes, sir. Oh, oh. Oh, take it easy, Miss Braddock. Don't you tell me how to drive, Tim Collins. I was driving my own car before they ever enrolled you in my class at Northside School. Be careful now. Don't hit my elbow. Oh, sorry. Just getting into my boots. Now to get my jacket off. Throw it in the back seat. I'll take care of it for you. All right. If you'd leave it at the firehouse, you know all three ones. I'll leave it on my way home. Now... You just wiggle into that rubber coat. Yes, I'm all set. Then hold on. Only six more blocks to go. Uh-huh. Uh, Miss Braddock, pull over. Pull over to the curb. Nonsense. That siren is clearing the way for us. Let them get by. That's the salvage squad. Watch me beat them to Clark and Montague. No, ma'am. Pull over. Get out of their way. Oh. Tim Collins, I could cry. I could have beaten them to the fire just as easily. Look, Miss Braddock, fire equipment gets the right of way. Don't ever forget that. Oh, well, I suppose you're right. Many a department driver has wrecked his truck and injured good men who were needed at the scene of a fire to avoid hitting a civilian car. Look there. What a crowd. Oh, yes. Well, try to work your car through that crowd, Miss Braddock. Careful. That's right. Keep your horn going. It's that warehouse, Tim. Uh Oh, what a big one. Yes, ma'am. Four stories. The third, that's the fire floor. See, they're they're shooting streams through the window. That fire? Why, it seems to be all at this end of the building. It's hard to tell, Miss Braddock. A third alarm. It must look bad inside. Well, here's the fire line. All right, thanks a million, Miss Braddock. You can leave my uniform at the firehouse. All right, Tim. Good luck. Private Collins, sir. Reporting for duty with the Hook and Ladder Company, 111. I'm Lieutenant Kennedy. Glad to have you with us, Collins. You're just in time. We're pulling out the first platoon. Kennedy! Lieutenant Kennedy! Over here, Chief Cody. Oh, there you are. Where's the battalion chief? Directing the engine men with the hoses at the front of the building, sir. What's the situation? Fire out of control in the third story of this warehouse, Chief. In the front, toward the street, and working backward through the building. The building is a whole block long. You ventilated the roof, of course. We opened the roof over the front of the building. But there's a maze of partitions on that third floor. So gases and smoke are building up, huh? We've got to open the roof near the rear. Hmm. You need more ladders? Not yet, sir. There's a fire stairway up the rear to the roof. I have a truckman up there now with an axe. I'm just sending this rookie to relieve him. Private Collins, you know what to do? Yes, Chief. I'm to open up the roof to let the gas and smoke escape so the men can get in with the hoses and see what they're doing without risk of suffocation. Give him his orders, Lieutenant. Collins, take the can opener. There's metal sheeting on that roof. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's a bigger can opener than you ever saw in your mother's kitchen, boy. Yes, sir. Big enough to rip open this warehouse roof. Now get up there and relieve Private Murphy. And watch yourself going past the third floor. That door may be ready to blow out. stairway in the rear. Here's the door. This must be it. Oh, man, it's black as night in here. I gotta unsling my flashlight. There. Yes, sir, there's the stairs. Second floor. Now, let's look at that door. 
Oh, good, a metal fire door. Well, if that's what the door's like up above on the third floor, it, well, it should hold for a while longer. Gotta watch it, though. She lets go, she'll blow out like a cannon shot. Okay, Hooksy, we'll watch it. I'd better watch it myself. This is no place for Mrs. Collins' boy, Tim. Fourth floor. Door holding fast. Well, let's see. It's yeah, hot, but not scorching. Must have filled with gas and smoke from the other end of the building. I've got to let it out through the roof before the fire mushrooms. Oh, now, what's up above? go up to a penthouse on the roof. Oh, what's his name? Murphy. Yeah, Murphy left the door open. I can see daylight. Glass windows in the side. When that fire door lets go, we'll need all the ventilation there is. Yeah, there. That ought to do it. Good old can opener opens the windows as well as the roof. Hey, what? Oh, good grief, the fire door. The fire door let go. Oh, come on, Collins. Pull yourself together. Get up off your hands and knees. You gotta open up this roof. <laughs> oh, smoke is thicker up here. Let's see. Smoke coming up through the roof over there. That's where... What's his name? Murphy. That's where Murphy smashed the skylight with his axe. Clears out the smoke and gas. Murphy! Hey, Murphy! Oh. <laughs> Gotta work up into that smoke. Can't see anything here. Hey, Murphy, sound off. Here's your relief. Oh. What's that now? Oh, an axe. Murphy dropped his axe. Hey, Murphy! <laughs> Murphy, sound off. I can't see you. <laughs> oh. Oh, good grief, here he is. He's out cold. The smoke must have knocked him out. Now, does Tim have his hands full or doesn't he? Ordered to the roof of the burning warehouse to break a hole in the metal roofing with a giant can-opener device, Tim Collins, rookie fireman, seeks the man he is supposed to relieve at this important task. He finds him lying helpless, overcome with smoke. But Tim knows what to do as you'll hear in our next true-to-life episode of The Firefighters. In just a minute, Chief Bob Cody will tell you, boys and girls, how you can help the firefighters in your own town. But before you meet Chief Cody, here's something else you want to hear. And now Chief Bob Cody with a special assignment for all young firefighters. Chief Cody. Hello, boys and girls. This is your friend, Chief Cody, with an important assignment for you. Attention, firefighters. You are to inspect your homes for these special fire hazards. Cleaning fluid that is not carefully confined in a bottle or can with a tight cover. 
paint in cans whose lids are not tightly closed, and rags or cleaning cloths that have been stored carelessly. Remember, the fumes of cleaning fluid and paint are dangerous. A spark is enough to cause an explosion, and cleaning cloths don't need a spark. They can catch fire through spontaneous ignition when not properly stored. Now inspect your home for these fire hazards. That is all, and goodbye for now. Fire Chief Cody and his young rookie fireman, Tim Collins, will be back tomorrow at the same time on the same station when you hear... That's it. Let's roll! Let's go! Firefighters! Firefighters is written by Frank Jones and is a copyrighted feature of William F. Holland Productions. Said the night wind to the little land. Do you see what I see? Way up in the sky, little land. Do you see what I see? A star, a star, dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite. With a tail as big as a kite. Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy, Do you hear what I hear? Ringing through the sky, shepherd boy. Do you hear what I hear? A song, a song, high above the tree, With a voice as big as the sea. With a voice as big as the sea Said the shepherd boy to the mighty king Do you know what I know? In your palace warm mighty king Do you know what I know? A child, a child Shivers in the cold Let us bring him silver and gold Let us bring him silver and gold Said the king to the people everywhere Listen to what I say Pray for peace people everywhere Listen to what I say The child, the child Sleeping in the night He will bring us goodness and light He will bring us goodness and Have yourself 
a merry little Christmas. Let yourself be light. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. From now on, our troubles will be miles away. Here we are, as in olden days, happy golden days of yore. Faithful friends who are dear to us, gather near to us once more. Through the years, we all will be together, if the fates allow. Until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. So have yourself a merry little Christmas now. Faithful friends who are dear to us, gather near to us once more. Through the years we all will be together, if the fates allow. Hang a shining star upon the highest bough. A merry little Christmas now. And we're going to turn that down. While I'm pulling my chair over here. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Alden. How we're are you back. Yeah. Where did that come from? That expression, we're back. Sounds like yeah, it's, um, fiction movie. It's come from something in popular culture within the last 20, 30 years, I think. Yes. And considering, considering I am no expert, I am no expert of anything culture in the last fifty years. I don't think it was culture. I think it was a movie, and the end line was "They're back." Isn't that um? What it was? Wasn't I'll that maybe every- one of those uh, Jason? One of those fire? Oh, the, the Halloween. Yeah, maybe one of those things. I don't know. I don't know either. They had one with killer bees, and they got one bee left. <laughs> <laughs> They're back. I don't know. Pop culture of the last fifty years eight are my strong suit, so you know, it's just not. Old okay, enough. well, we have to depend on people to let us know how many chickens there are in the world. Thanks, That's Dennis. true. That's true. That'll scare the bee jabbers out of me. Uh huh. Don't go to the supermarket. Bum, the bum, chickens are picking. Bum bum, bum bum. Uh huh. Okay, seven one four five four five two zero seven one. 
Leonard Moulton. Do you know who Leonard I sure do. He and I have corresponded. He's a good friend of John Roy Gassman. He has uh, pictured it on our show. Really? And he's a, the famous movie critic of people who see on, um, I guess it's him, uh, 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 Entertainment Tonight. Uh-huh. He is a big old-time radio fan. I've written a book on old-time radio. Um, his daughter listened to old-time radio with him. Uh, and he's an extremely nice guy. Well, I have a quote by him. All right. And I'm so glad you know who he is. You bet. Leonard said, A Christmas Carol is such a foolproof story, you can't louse it up. That's a pretty good quote. And it is. That's it a is. pretty good quote. Am I sounding okay to you? Any you bubbles? Sure. Yeah, you, no, you sound clean as a bell. Okay, it's your bubbles, not my bubbles. Tiny bubbles. Yeah, but I listened and, and we're okay. Your, okay. your bubbles aren't coming through. Okay, who is Roy L. Smith? He's part of the Smith Brothers. <laughs> oh, no. I have no idea. Hello, there, you're on the air. It comes from Poltergeist 2. And that's a Poltergeist 2. Too. All right, so we've got ghosts and mean ghosts. And who said, oh, wait, I remember, and it's the little kid? Yeah, the little blonde girl. The little kid says they're back. They're back. Yep. Oh, thank you for taking me out of my misery. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. <laughs> Rescued by the family. Walden? Yes. We're back. Uh-huh. 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 Roy L. Smith. Whoever Roy L. Smith is, thank you so much, mm -hmm. because he said, he who has not Christmas in his heart will never find it under a tree. That is a true statement. Isn't that nice? That is true. All right, now, author unknown. Do you know who author... <laughs> Author Unknown is? There's quite a few of those running around, I think. I know. It, yeah. I name all over the place. Yeah. Author Unknown. Let's that's sure how... That's the, that's the handle that Patricia likes to go by sometime. That is true. Yeah. That is true. I would prefer to do that. Anyway, mm -hmm. Author Unknown, Mr. Unknown or Miss Unknown, said one of the nice things about Christmas is that you can make people forget the past with a present. Yeah. That sure reminds me of the Fairy McGee and Molly show I listened to tonight. One of your favorite ones, you know, the... Uh, Christmas card from Elizabeth. Uh-huh. And the girl going, they were trying to trip him up, who is Mr. Anonymous. And so he, then he decided not to fall into the trap and said, oh, he's a cousin of so-and-so who's a country of, of the, he's part of the Irish family of the, the Dowdies, who is a great nephew. So he didn't fall in the trap of Mrs. <laughs> Anonymous. Was, yeah, once in a while, and it was very rare that he did that in as a character in the show where he he was keen to it and he wasn't going to allow himself to get wrapped up in That's that. That's right. It was, it was good. It was he, a good shtick. It, it was a really nice touch because something that is so good for some listeners can get old. Mm -hmm. And they say, oh, here he goes again. But it's like the closet. Yeah. It wasn't there very often, but... Occasionally, though, when they open the closet... It didn't happen. It, huh? It was always straightened out. You know what I was supposed to do for you? With that. It was a self-appointed... Oh, dear. I hope I remember which one it was. I pulled a show and listened to it, quite by accident, that had two closets in the same show. Two? 
two closets. Hmm. It may have been, it may have been the one when they opened when, it. When they were doing the the benefit for, um, oh, not the Red Cross. Well, remember there was one city chest. Remember there was one show they left the closet itself. They open it and then they they decided to unpack it to see what was in it. Then they decided to pack it all nicely. Then they had to reopen it. Then they had to reopen it, and I I believe that was one in which. Sibber found his zither. He found uh -huh. his zither a couple of times. But this may have been the one that was the community chest show where they performed live. Oh, yeah. And I'll pull that one out and see if it's there. But mm. it's, it just took me by such surprise because we had to wait so long in between shows before we actually heard the closet. We knew all about it because Molly would say, no, no, not the whole closet. <laughs> And we knew if someone opened it, what would happen, but it didn't open that many times. It was, what did um, Claire Schultz count, 138? Yeah, something like that. Tom Pike. Yeah, Tom Pike did the counting. Either 199 times or 100 and some odd times. It was under 200. It's just, it was under 200. And when you think about the show being on for so many years, and everyone remembered, what do you think about Fibber McGee? Oh, Fibber McGee's closet. Yeah, I remember that one. And Jim Jordan would even talk about that, what people remembered it for, the closet. When uh -huh. He always thought it was a little more than that. Yep, it was, it was such a good shtick. Mm -hmm. They did, and they played it perfectly by referencing it without opening the closet. So it kept people on edge. They, they, it, it was like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yep. Yep. And so that that was fun. But two closets in the same show I thought was really outstanding. Mm. I can't. I can't imagine that it happened more than one time. They wouldn't have done that mm -hmm. more than one time. So it was really special, and I was supposed to. I said, oh, Patricia, pull that show and send it to Walden. <laughs> Did Patricia pull the show and send it to Walden? Of but, course not. But it's next year. Next year's coming. Uh, yeah, I know. And, you know, I mean. This is coming, so we have to be good. Yeah, and next year, you know, Patricia will sit down with all the Fibber, McGee, and Molly again, so you'll find it. I'll find it. You know, I guess it has one, to be. It was one that I heard quite recently so i'm guessing it might have been the community chest we didn't get to play that one and i did pull it so maybe i'll, I'll check that one first you know that's just gonna have to be patricia's note-taking skills to take notes of favorite shows <laughs> once in a while i'm smart and i change the title i don't change the title but i add to the title like uh -huh. an asterisk or uh -huh. make a note to myself two closets i'll put it in the title of uh -huh. copy so, all right, Fibber's Closet, Fibber Closet times two, times two for Walden. Anyway, I want to talk about the firefighter, the office show of the oh, night. Oh, my goodness, yes. And I listened to it, and um, I was really debating whether it was an adult show or a kid's show until we heard the final promotion for a kid's show. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you what style they try to go after. It was very similar to Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy was good to kid, but it had sort of a realism about it. Mm -hmm. It didn't have the music. It was nothing uh, so fa fantasy, so like a Superman or something like that. And they, they, that you know, was, you hear pauses when they're walking or changing scene. It had that kind of feel for it. Um, it didn't have the relationship with Dick and Pat would have in Dick Tracy. I think that's part of the reason why that show lasted also because it would come from a comic book, so it had a built-in audience. Mm -hmm. But I think it was missing 
um, it was missing something, and I think it was missing the personal touch of you knowing the characters. It was just sort of, you you felt a distance from them. You felt like you really, you could hear the story going on, but there was really no personal tie into the to the characters. I didn't find much of a storyline either. Mm-hmm. And so, you, so it was one of that you didn't care what happened. That's exactly right. Yeah. Oh, boy, this door is hot. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it was not rooted in reality. I, I think... And that was a problem. I think what it's probably been better off of two guys working together. Mm -hmm. So you had a relationship built upon two, two firemen. Sure. Rather than just, just one guy being picked up by a gal who being told what to do, and he's on his own. Even even back in 1949, a guy didn't hop in a car and just cross over from one firehouse to another. Mm -hmm. He responded to a fire that wasn't in his district. So it, it, it broke reality and lost credibility. But you anyway, see, it was pretty awful. If it was for a kid, I don't think the kids would know that. Well, they never saw a fireman jump in a car. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting. I, it, I imagine, well, even if you were volunteer firefighters, you would run down to the house to get on the truck. You, you would go to the fire, and he came from a different firehouse. Yeah. Not a good thing. Not a good thing. Mm -hmm. If you listen to the end of it, again, pick up the language. The words that this guy was using, combustion. What what five-year-old kid knows what combustion uh -huh. You know, it, it's a can that blows up, folks, and not properly stored. I thought they were trying to go for a game by 13 until I heard the, the tag, and I knew it was sure what they were trying to do, trying to shoot for the Dick Tracy crowd. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. When a show tries to borrow from another show's success, it turns out to be some of the biggest bombs uh -huh. in radio. You, you just can't do that. The expression is, imitation is the finest form of flattery. Yes. Get out of here. It isn't. Well, it isn't. you know, this is where it's so important to be yourself. Because, mm -hmm. you know, when people are listening, then you know it's genuine. It's so like what you hear people, when you hear Pete Six and I talking to you, it's pretty much all you got to hear is off the air. There's really no phony baloney. It's just, it's just the way we are. And, Free, isn't it? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. But it's true, and it's genuineness about this. And uh, and I, I think you have to sometimes write to the straits of people, like a comedy show or a mystery or yeah. whatever. you got to know what can this performer lens to make it credible. Mm -hmm. And you have to have a story to begin with mm -hmm. to give the poor actors. Did you catch, or did they even give, who the actors were in this? No, I just recognized the voice. I recognized the voices being uh, some of the famous voices out in New York. Really? Yeah, I, I could recognize stuff like I could hear in the Game Busters yeah. and some things like that, and, and some of the kids' shows, yeah. I wonder, with so many of these people who made it, I'll say made it big, mm -hmm. they were voice... You could recognize their voices. You knew what really fine performers they were. And a lot of them had just awful stuff in their backgrounds when they first started out. Sometimes it was just poor scripting. Sometimes it was a poor show. Sometimes it was poor acting. Well, but they, uh, so many of them had these things in their backgrounds before 
they were recognized as fine, fine performers. I wonder if they owned up to that stuff. Oh, I think a lot of them did. Um, Frank Nelson, the beloved Frank Nelson, who uh-huh. made yes. yes famous on the Jack Benny show. And I was thinking we might want to have Joan Benny on February to talk about her dad. Or, or, oh, February 14th, yeah. her dad's birthday, yeah. yeah. So we might consider that. Uh, but um, he was a, a very successful stooge, a very successful comedian. And he would do other comedy shows besides Jack Benny. And the writers would come up, well, be, just be just as funny on this show as you are the Jack Benny show. And you know what his reply was, Patricia? What? Just write the material as funny as the Jack Benny's writers, and I'll be as funny. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Here you go. Hello there, you're on the air. Frank Nelson was a very talented individual because he he could act <clears throat> as crazy on the Jack Benny show, but he was able to play some serious parts also. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He wasn't just... You know, one kind of an actor. He, he was a good actor. He was. Really good actor. And Very you know, um, Kathy Lewis yes. was another one that could could adjust to whatever role she needs to adjust to. Kathy, I can recognize Kathy Lewis in almost anything, but her she was such a good actress, it didn't matter if a comedy or dramatic yeah. she could pull it off. And she did a lot of suspense shows yeah. also and yeah. did well. And yeah. I mean, you couldn't imagine Jimmy Durante ever acting on suspense. Right. You know, um, and of course, some of these comedy actors, when they did suspense, I mean, it wasn't at all that great, but it was just unusual, you know, that they, they were able to, to perform. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why, it's, if you listen to some of those suspense shows, when they decided to have a Bob Hope or a Red Skelton or a Danny Kaye do a, uh, a dramatic, serious part, they were able to pull it off. Yeah, yeah they, they did a good job at it. Frank Nelson, are you familiar with Jeff Reagan, the Jack Webb? Yeah, that's right. He acted as, um... He was Anthony J. Lyon. Yeah, right. He was, he was. I mean, he acted like such a buffoon, because that was the role of the buffoon. I never recognized his voice until I realized he was the person playing the role. And then I could pick up a couple of words, but I never would have recognized him ever on my own. He was yeah, that's right, and he was very good at um, on Jeff Regan. Very good. It was a great character role for him. Huh? Well, on the lighter side, how was your prime rib, my friend? Oh, it was awesome. There you go. It was awesome. We got leftovers, so you're welcome to come over tomorrow. We had leftovers, and we ate tonight, too, from last night. And, yeah, I mean, for some reason... There was always some kind of leftovers, you know, and stuff. <laughs> but but it sure tasted good. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it was superb. It was and superb. Uh, how was your Christmas, Patricia? My Christmas was fine. My sister and I got along very well. <laughs> we had 
we had some good times today. <laughs> it can be testy sometimes, but she did. she come for dinner? No, no, we went out. We went out cruising around and looking at Christmas lights on the houses, and we had breakfast for dinner. It was good. Does she know your, your crazy hobby of collecting old radio shows? Yeah, sort of, yeah. Does she think you're some kind of a nut? Because I'm sure she wasn't in the era also, right? Right. Yeah, so um, did you ever sit down and listen to one? She, I sent her some Amos and Andy, and I asked her if she ever listened to them, and she said no. That's <laughs> it. No. Funny. See, now, you know, and actually she's in the majority. There's a lot of people, I'm sure her age, that they're, they're I mean, they remember television shows and stuff, but they would never sit down and just listen to a radio show where you just got to listen and not look at anything but listen. Right, we've talked about that sometimes, and you're you're so perceptive on that. People are so accustomed to explosions and flashing. Oh gosh, it's just awful what you have to look at. And for you, you get this crazy sound effects in the background and no dialogue, so it's a waste for you. But you're right; that's what she that's what she's locked into. And then, and then you know, they they're not used to just look just down for half an hour and listen to this um, drama or something. Huh? And then they get really bored because because there's nothing to look at, you know? And and, um, and because they didn't grow up in the era where there was not much television, they're, they're, they're spoiled, I mean, you know? And actually, I mean, I'm not knocking it because perhaps maybe if I was, I don't know, but if I was born during the television era, maybe I wouldn't be interested in in old radio shows. I don't know. So I, I can't knock those who are not interested. Also makes me wonder too, guys, if we uh, have personality traits. In other words, what I'm trying to say, those of us, like Patricia who lends, who like to read and has an ear for audio, she can adapt to listen to old radio shows. When you have others who don't read and who watch, who stimulate strictly by video, they're not going to be ever interested in having it, listen, having the patience to listen to a radio show. You know, you know when you, if, if I if I took my grandchildren to see um, um, uh, a, a movie that was popular in the forties, uh-huh. it's boring to them. Sure. Because so there's not much action, there's more dialogue and stuff. Um, you know, it's visual, mm-hmm. it's boring, you know. Because they, they're used to just bang, 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 movies, just fast moving, action after action. Yes. So the lifestyle is completely different. The Thin Man was on television last week. Ken Goff sent me an email and gave me a heads up that the Turner Classic Network. Turner Classic Movies mm-hmm. was running the entire series of The Thin Man, and by golly, it had wonderful dialogue. You, you could have, I could have closed my eyes, and I knew what was going on. You can't close your eyes and know what's going on in a Today Show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, you know something? I got to tell you, um, Blondie and Dagwood on the radio was pretty funny, but after you watch a couple of Blondie and Dagwood movies, maybe one or two in a row, that's it. Um, somehow, 
um, the movie of Bonnie and Dagwood movies were not as funny. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But well, it saved Columbia Pictures, so at the time it it did the purpose. You know. Well, it had a purpose, but I felt the same way about the Fibber McGee and Molly movies. Yeah, they, you're right. It was good that they stopped making them because they had reached the edge. I love the movies. I love to watch them, but it is so different from radio. I don't have an imagination to use with the movie. You think also in a movie, I've listened to some one or two, like Look Who Laughing. You think the pacing was slower on the film? Oh, yeah. 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 And I, think I, think that's, I hadn't even thought about that, but I think you're right. Yeah. And you know, um, oh, but I, I, I hate to say that. I, I probably said it before, but Cassie Lewis was just not fit to be Molly on television. It just, it just didn't work for Cassie Lewis. And I don't know who, I don't know who would have been a better, who would have been the right cast. If we had a cast of all time, of the last hundred years of actors, besides Jimmy Murray and Jordan, who could have pulled it off? I don't know. On television? Yes. Nobody. I don't think Jim and Marion Jordan could have pulled it off. Right. I, I, right. I Nobody just, else could have. I just wonder if it was one of those things, it, 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 it was meant to be with them. And, and on radio. It just it could not translate to movies or television. Right. Of course, though, the guy on television who played Gunsmoke, he pulled it off. Even though maybe we might have <clears throat> thought that... William Conrad could have done a better job, but mm -hmm. I guess what, Arnest was the one on television, he pulled it off. He was, uh, William Conrad was really great in the transition from radio over to TV. He didn't do Gunsmoke over on TV, but he did an awful lot of other stuff over there. But the show itself translated to television, and I, I'm not sure why. Did they... I, they must have reproduced for us what we could have in our imaginations listening to the radio show. Well, is it because I don't really remember watching Gunsmoke on TV too often as a kid. Yeah. But, look, James Harness was a big guy, right? He was 6'6", six, 6'8". Six, 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 yeah. And so he had that person on, TV, on the screen. And let's face it, the pacing of Gunsmoke on radio... They try to shoot for realism on radio, uh -huh. and I think the realism on radio probably worked for TV. But the, even the set, uh huh, um, Dodge City looked like Dodge City. Right. It looked like Dodge City was supposed to look. Right. It worked. Yeah. But moving a Fibber McGee and Molly over there, it just didn't work. Mm -hmm. I was so disappointed when I saw what they looked like. <laughs> they didn't come close to what I had in my head. Having a lot uh, of... Yeah.